Great. Well, our goal tonight is to uh, get through chapter 10 and a little better than half of chapter 11. I think we can do it. In fact, dare I say, we might even get out a little early. Um, But I would never dare say such things. (laughs) All right. So Pastor... um, mentioned uh, in, the, in the handout, in the preparation or the invitation for tonight, um, the memory verses for Daniel chapter 10 and 11, um, which is good, good to do. And so we will uh, we'll review those here uh, presently. I might be broadcasting that inside your house. All right. Um, So, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 is the memory verse for Daniel chapter 10. Has anyone had a chance to work on it? Anyone anyone brave? No one brave? Pastor's brave? Well, this is fitting then. Uh, Then he said to me, fear not. Very close. Very good. Uh, from the first day. From the first day. That, that's the only thing you missed. All right, so very good. So Daniel says, uh, or the angel says to Daniel, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have, become, I have come because of your words. So that is uh, that's very good. Uh, Daniel chapter 10. All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel 10. Um, there is a handout in the back, if, and I hope there is enough for everyone. Um, I forgot to print one out for myself, so if you need one, I can give you mine here. But uh, this does cover chapters 10, 11, and 12, which is the final vision of Daniel. Daniel has four visions, and uh, Daniel 7 is one, Daniel 8 is the second, Daniel 9 is the third. And then 10, 11, and 12 cover the fourth vision of Daniel. So I have some notes on, on uh, the three chapters there. We won't obviously cover all three chapters tonight. Um, I, won't, I won't do that to you. But we will start in Daniel chapter 10. Right. And... Um, myself here. My Bible is beginning to flop open to Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. All right. Well, this isn't lecture 12, I guess, but we'll start with Daniel chapter 10. So, this is where we're at uh, here in our outline of the book of Daniel. And you recall the first six chapters are historical narratives for the most part. There are a couple visions that are given, but they're not given to Daniel. They're given to Nebuchadnezzar or to Belshazzar in chapter 5. And these are chronological from beginning to end. Um, Chapter 1, Daniel is taken captive, if you recall. And about how old is Daniel when he's taken captive, when we read of Daniel and the other young men in Daniel chapter 1? Now, this is for, I would say, for A students, but there's a lot of hands going up. Uh, Leander? 14? I would take 14. What did you have? 14. Sebastian? Yep, early teens. Uh, 14, 15, I would take 15, uh, somewhere in there. He's taken captive uh, by Nebuchadnezzar in, a, in about 605 B.C. 
Uh, and then in the Den of Lions, the Den of Lions takes place uh, under uh, Darius the Mede uh, right after the fall of Babylon uh, 70 years later. So he's approximately 85 years old at the close of the historical sections. Now the prophetic chapters, um, again we have chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and then 10, 11, and 12 all go together. Our English Bibles split them up and uh, not real well, um, but they do, just to make it easier to manage. Uh, and we have the, the three chapters here. And these are also given in chronological order. So, uh, but they're all later in Daniel's life. So the first two under, are under Belshazzar, the third one is under Darius, and then the fourth one here in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1 says, the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So Daniel is upper 80s um, at this point in his life. He's, uh, he's an old man, uh, elderly man. So, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. Remember, that's the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave to him. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. That is, it was about a great conflict. Okay, the, the contents of the vision were over a great conflict. And Daniel understood the word and had understanding of the vision. And so then, that's the introduction, and then Daniel says in verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. And that's probably because of the vision that he had. Uh, the memory verse, verse 12, uh, the angel says to Daniel, Fear not, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before the Lord. So when he began to mourn, uh, when he began uh, to fast, he says in verse 3, I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine, entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for th full three weeks. So he's mourning, he's probably praying, because fasting and prayer usually went together. Uh, this is how he mourned, so the fasting um, and the not bathing. And kids don't get any ideas. Right. Um, and uh, this lasted for three weeks. And when the angel came to him, uh, it had been three weeks that he was in the midst of this. All right, so this, I, I should probably go. So this is chapter 10, and I've titled chapter 10 here, An Angelic Conflict, because of what he says in verse, um, verse 1, it was a great conflict. Now, but it's, uh, we'll talk about the angel, angelic conflict. All right, so we just read verses 1 through 3, which is just kind of the setting. Now an angel is going to come to him and explain to him the vision, but he, the angel won't start explaining the vision until uh, chapter 11. So chapter 10 uh, is kind of the setup to that, and that's why we're going to be able to go a little bit quicker through chapter 10. Um, so the angel uh, starts to give him the interpretation or the interpretation of the conflict and he keeps having to strengthen Daniel. Daniel keeps passing out. And I mean, he's an 88-year-old man who hasn't eaten for three weeks. Uh, so not only is he an elderly man, but he's also very uh, weak physically because of no food. Um, and so we get this, uh, the angel keeps waking Daniel up and trying to encourage him. So Daniel chapter 10 has a lot of kind of repetition in it, and it has a lot about angels in it. In fact, the book of Daniel, and I mentioned this last winter, we talked a little bit about angels or spirit beings in the book of Daniel, because we find out a lot of information about angels uh, and spirit beings in the book of Daniel. So that's, and a lot of it comes from Daniel chapter 10. So that's what I'm going to highlight uh, tonight is to talk about the, the angels or the, and the spirit beings that we encounter here in uh, chapter 10. Whoops, wrong way. All right, so review. 
I keep correcting myself and saying angels and spirit beings. This is a review of what we talked about last winter, I think it was December, or November maybe even, before the Christmas holiday, Advent slash Christmas holiday. Uh, In the Bible as a whole, angels, the study of angels, or angelology as it's called, uh, discusses the different different kinds of spiritual beings that we have, uh, that we encounter in scripture. Some are called angels. Uh, That's what we're most familiar with. Angels, just by definition, are, are messengers. Okay, that's the, it's from the Greek word, and the Greek word simply means messenger, and that word sometimes means messengers of, that are human beings, uh, but it also means messengers who aren't human beings. And they are spirit beings in that they, aren't, uh, they don't have physical bodies like we do. They have a spiritual body. Some of them, some spiritual uh, and um, creatures have wings. Seraphim have six wings. Uh, cherubim have two wings. Um, we are never told that angels have wings, but it, it's commonly you know, depicted today as if they do. But the scriptures never say that an angel has a wing. Um, it says that they fly, but they're spirit beings, so they don't, they don't have to have wings to fly. Um, archangels, okay, so an arch something, in this case, is a ruler. Okay, so this is a ruling angel, an angel that has authority over other spirit beings. Or a, um, and that would be Michael. And Michael, we, we encounter Michael here in Daniel chapter 10. You also have Gabriel in the book of Daniel and perhaps also here in Daniel 10. Um, here are some others. Satan is a spirit being. Uh, we have creatures, princes. Princes show up here in Daniel 10. Powers, uh, demons. Those are all other words that are used. Um, creatures is used in the book of Revelation. And you, could, you might be able to argue Ezekiel. Uh, princes. Uh, Paul talks about princes. Uh, he talks about the, princes, uh, the prince, princes and power of the air. Uh, he's talking about spirit beings. Um, so these are all different kinds of spirit beings that exist in, if I can use this analogy, a dimension that's not ours. Well, if they do exist in this dimension, we can't see them or hear them, that we can't, um, with our five senses, uh, come to any knowledge of them. Okay, We can only uh, know that they're present if they manifest themselves to us like we see them do with Daniel here, or like we've seen in Luke's gospel, for example, uh, when uh, the angel appears to Mary, the angels appear to the shepherds, etc. They, they appear to them. Uh, they make themselves manifest. Now, we'll see, we'll, we'll see some things here in Daniel 10 as we, about the character of angels that um, probably raises more questions than we humans can answer. So I'll just state that up front. Okay. Um, there's a, you know, we can talk about, because it's very important, how many angels uh, are able to stand on the head of a pin or on the head of a needle or dance on the head of a pin. Um, but that, that's related to actually what we're going to talk about in some of these verses. So you might think that's kind of a crazy question to talk about. And why did it take up so much theological writing? Um, because it actually it comes from the scriptures, the question does. It comes from Daniel chapter 10, uh, among other places. All right, so spirit beings and uh, in Daniel chapter 10. So in Daniel verses 1 through 3, all right, that kind of gives us the setting. Daniel has been, uh, he had a vision. He's been praying and fasting and mourning over the vision the vision was about great conflict. And in verse 4, Daniel says that on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. So Babylon, uh, if you recall in your geography, is between the Tigris River and the Euphrates River. 
Okay, so between the rivers, does anyone know what the, the really long word is for between the rivers? Mesopotamia, okay, is the fancy word for between the rivers. And the two rivers are the Tigris and the Euphrates. So Babylon was on the Euphrates River. The Tigris River flowed north. Well, they both flew from a north, well, for you it would be northwest to southeast direction. And the Tigris was on the kind of the other side of the mountain range from the Euphrates. All right, from where Babylon was located. Uh, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz, that's a place, around his waist. His body was like beryl, that's a gem, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. All right, so who is this person? Well, it could be one of two people. Well, uh, it could be persons, not people. Uh, persons. So it could be, because of its description, it could be a, a pre-incarnate vision of Christ, a theophany, as it's sometimes called or referred to, uh, because Christ is depicted in very similar language in Revelation chapter 1. And he's depicted as standing above the waters, uh, such that he's kind of floating there. But um, that could also signify perhaps a, a higher uh, status in the hierarchy. Uh, I, I, many, I won't say most, uh, but many would say that he's simply a superior angel because later he says that he has to go and fight, or he says later in verse 13 that the prince of Persia uh, had withstood him, okay, held him up from bringing the message to Daniel. Um, so some speculate that perhaps this is Gabriel again uh, who's come to give Daniel the message. And um, this, this creature uh, touches Daniel uh, more than one occasion to give him strength. And, um, and as far as we know, it's a, weak, it's a weaker argument, but as far as we know, in no theophany did, the, did Christ uh, touch someone. So this person helps and assists uh, Daniel. And angels are also uh, helpers. Um, uh, as well. So, it's either Christ or it's an angel. Today, I mean to say that it's an angel. Uh, but I'm not... If you think that it's Christ, Pastor, I do not have a problem with that. All right. Um, so, this spirit being, however, notice this. Regardless, he's a spirit being. Uh, we notice that in verse 7... Daniel says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. Now this, this should remind you of somebody else's vision. Saul's, Saul's on the road to Damascus. Um, but, with a great, uh, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance, or my, my countenance, basically, was changed uh, to one of dread. This is a hard Hebrew phrase to translate. We, we even have a footnote, footnote. My splendor was changed to ruin. Um, it's kind of like, a, it's a, like a metaphor. In English, we would say my countenance fell uh, would be kind of the idea. Um, my radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. So, again, and we've pointed this out, uh, Modern, you know, popular angels in, in the stores, around Valentine's Day, on TV shows, um, aren't at all like what the Bible depicts angels to be. And when we see angels like this, one of the things that we realize is, um, well, I've got a few points here. One, when they appear to humans, they appear 
like a man. In other words, they look like a man, but they are glorious, in this case, glorious in appearance. They cause fear among those who see them. And in almost every case, the, the, the human being who sees the spirit being falls down out of fear. So that happens quite frequently. Um, so in these couple of verses, we see that. They, they appear to us, they appear as men. Now, they don't, according to Jesus, angels don't have gender, or they don't have, they don't have sex, they don't marry and have children like we do. Um, but they always appear as men. And they always appear glorious, fearful. Um, they, they create dread in the person uh, who sees them. And we see that here in this passage. Uh, so Daniel uh, loses his, he retained no strength, verse 8. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. He passed out. Uh, so again, Daniel is about 88 years old, somewhere between 85 and 90. Uh, he has not eaten for three weeks. And an angel comes to him and uh, appears out of nowhere and frightens him, and he, he faints. So verse 10. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So this, the angel picks... Daniel up, you know, you can think of it like, well, if you have a small baby, we got a couple of babies. Oh, wait. Oh, you don't have, you don't have Levi today. Oh, Levi's teething. Um, that's okay. He's excused. He has a do- doctor's note from his mother. Uh, but you, you know how sometimes dads will be cruel to small children and they put them in a snowsuit and the child's just like stuck there and then you can just grab the snowsuit and pick them up. And they're just like this, only now they're... Okay, so this is kind of the idea, only Daniel's not wearing a snowsuit. Uh, the angel picks him up, because so, he fell down on his face, so he's on his stomach. Okay, the, the angel picks him up and gets him up on his hands and knees. Now, you would think the angel would be strong enough to just, just pick him up all the way. Uh, but the, the fascinating thing here, when we're talking about spirit beings who appear to men is... They can, they can touch us, okay? Uh, they can touch human beings. So if you think about it, they don't have cor- corporeal, they have corporeal bodies, but not physical bodies. So they, so it's like, you know, the whole ghost thing goes through a wall, um, because there's two different dimensions. Well, that's true with angels, and, uh, yet they can touch and handle, um, human beings and physical things. So, like I said, this raises a significant metaphysical question uh, that we're not going to answer um, ever, probably. Okay. Um, So he picks him up and he says, and then he says to him, uh, O Daniel, man, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. So stand up. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourselves before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So, not only that, but I should have added here, so they bring messages from God to humans, but they can talk to us in our language, so that, or unless they all speak Hebrew, um, so that people can understand. Okay, so they, they can speak the language of humans so that humans can understand the message from, from God that they are sent uh, to relay. Um, so this is what angels primarily do. Uh, they bring messages. And again, you see Daniel trembling. So Daniel is afraid of this angel who's giving him the message. Uh, Now, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the, one of the chief princes, okay, so one of them, he's not the only one, evidently. Evidently, there's more than just Michael, who is an archangel or chief prince. Uh, But I think Michael's the only one that we're ever told of in inspired scripture as a, 
archangel. But here it says one of. Came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make, uh, make, to you, make you understand what is happening to your people in the latter days. Okay, so for the vision is for days yet to come. So he's giving us a little taste here of the, the vision is about the end time, uh, end times. Or there's two visions here, really, I guess. So here we have this. There, there's a conflict in the spiritual realm. The prince of the kingdom of Persia is not the, the, the real the, the prince um, who sat on the throne. This is a spirit being who was evidently, uh, we, we assume that he was in some way um, a, a fallen creature, who is trying to disrupt God's plan by holding up this angel who is coming to Daniel. So as the, so, there's a whole bunch of things here about angels. One, they have to move from place to place. So our, we live in a dimension of time and space where we have to move from here to there, and it takes us time to do so. Um, we can t- talk about time travel and time warping and all that, but that's okay. So, but we do. We live in this dimension. Well, spirit beings, uh, apart from from God, of course, are similar in that they have to move from one place to another. Now, they might be able to move really fast, but they have a sense of space and time. So he was coming from one place coming to Daniel, who's in another place, and it took him three weeks to get there because he got held up by, we, we we're assuming here, by an angel that was trying to thwart God's, God's plan. Okay. This prince of, of Persia, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So here's another question that we really don't have a good understanding of. And that is this, uh, they, they hold power over physical and geographical locations. Now, we could get into a sidetrack here because there are some people today who believe that uh, this is uh, true and that you have to perform exorcisms that are geographical in nature to um, get the, the demons, these princes, out of your area. So they would have us you know, go like block by block through Granite Falls and declare certain sectors of the town free from princes of the air, or princes of darkness. Okay. Uh, I'm not advocating that tonight, but this is kind of where it comes from. Pastor. That pa- uh, Daniel is certainly not doing that. Uh, that is true. And there's no. Ad- uh, yes. Right. And now, this leads to more questions because they're not, when we think of conflict, you know, if you think back to your fairy tale days and a knight in shining armor comes, comes along and all of a sudden there's a bad guy, a rogue knight or somebody, and they're going to fight or joust or whatever, duel. Okay, well, that's physical people hitting each other with things like swords and jousts and glancing off of armor. <clears throat> So how does that work when you have spirit beings who aren't who are corporeal they have bodies but they aren't physical bodies like ours and they don't die that's the other thing and as far as we know they can't have their arms chopped off so there there's like lots of questions here that we that we don't have any answers for okay but this evidently happens as as we're told here um so the kingdom of Persia, there's a, there was a spirit being that was holding sway over, the, over Persia. Uh, he withstood this angel, perhaps Gabriel, for 21 days till Michael came and helped him out. In other words, Michael took up the conflict of some kind and allowed this angel to uh, make his way to Daniel in Babylon. Um, and so now he's here to give him the, the message. Uh, so now, verse 15, we're going to come back to that message when we get into chapter 11. Uh, in verse 15, the angel, this is Daniel speaking, when the angel had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. 
he, he was not talking. He evidently wasn't talking before, <laughs> but this time he wasn't. He, were, he really wasn't talking. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man, so notice another one uh, who is like a man, like a child of a man, uh, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me again. So here, if this is another angelic being, he's like a man. He touched his lips uh, like we saw before. And then verse uh, 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and be of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. So again, because of this fighting, these don't seem to be... uh, uh, pre-incarnate visions of Christ, uh, but they seem to be angelic creatures or spirit creatures, um, because this one is going to go back and fight against the Prince of Persia again. And when I go out, behold, the Prince of Greece will come. Uh, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the Book of Truth. And there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, who is your prince. So Michael, the archangel is dedicated to the people of Israel. He is called your prince, uh, meaning the Jewish peoples. He's the prince of Israel. Um, So this prince of Greece is another um, evil agent. And uh, 11 verse 1, And as for me, Daniel says, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So, um, I'm sorry, that's actually the angel still speaking. And the angel is going back in time two years uh, to Darius. All right, so uh, talking about the angelic conflict. All right, so this is chapter 10. And what I'm highlighting here is what all of the, this information that we glean about spirit beings and how confusing it is. So are there any questions about that I can't answer from chapter 10? All right, good. Appreciate, appreciate that. There's no questions. All right, so that's why I said we could, we'll get in, start into chapter 11. Daniel 11. So I've I've titled Daniel 11, uh, Antiochus and the Antichrist. Now, that's a little simplistic, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that here. So Antiochus, Epiphanes, and the Antichrist again. Now, there's going to be some repetition between chapter 11 and chapter 8. So what I'd like to do in the time remaining is um, really cover the first 36 verses in chapter 11 uh, and then leave uh, the second half, the Antichrist, and chapter 12 for next week, Lord willing, and, and we'll actually um, conclude the study uh, perhaps next week. All right. Um, so we have an a outline here. <clears throat> Oh, chapter 11, of course, starts in verse 2. Chapter 11, verse 1 is still the angel speaking about his conflict uh, with Greece and um, Persia, the princes of Greece and Persia, and, um, and how this angel also uh, was working for Darius the Mede. All right, so in verse 2, though, he starts to give the prophecy. So if we jump back real quickly... Of course, we went, we'll see, to um, verse 14 of chapter 10, sorry, Daniel 10, 14. The angel says, I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So this is what 
uh, he's talking about the latter days. Now, we're in the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus uh, is the king. And we're going to start with Persia uh, very briefly in verse 2. And then a couple of verses on Greece after that. But then after that, we have a long section about Egypt and Syria, which we have not seen uh, really previously. But when you think Syria, remember Antiochus Epiphanes came from, from Syria. And so uh, that, that's where we get into Antiochus later in the chapter. So that's why I said Antiochus and the Antichrist is a, is a little simplistic because the verses 2 through 20 don't have to do with Antiochus or, or the Antichrist. Um, so one advertisement before we get going. So in chapter 8, we talked quite a bit of, about history with Antiochus, uh, Epiphanes and the, and the Maccabean Revolt, etc. Um, this is a good book, and I, I've mentioned it before, but I'll just mention it again. This is Leon Wood, and it's called A Survey of Israel's History. And this is a second edition. It's revised. Um, but what, he, what Leon Wood does is he goes through all the biblical history of the people of Israel. And then he also goes into the intertestamental period. Um, so what happens to Israel uh, after Malachi and before uh, Matthew, basically? So what happens between those two books in your, in your Bibles? And he, uh, he has his, the final chapter deals with that as well. Uh, as well as other sources like the Maccabees, First and Second Maccabees, and the Book of Jubilee, etc., and other books that were written during that time. Uh, so this is a, this is really good. So he puts everything chronologically uh, in the scriptures. So he takes Chronicles and Samuel and and Chronicles and Kings and puts those together, and the prophets, and he puts the prophets in chronologically with the history, and he he lays out that whole history uh, of the people the exile and the return, he puts that all together. So this is a decent book to have um, if, you're, if you're interested in that kind of thing. I would be surprised if we didn't have it in the library. I think we do. Um, but if you'd like to borrow mine, you can. All right, so 11 verse uh, 2 uh, talks about Persia. I don't remember. Yeah, we do. Ah, good. All right, so I have here a slide just to kind of help us out a little bit. Um, and now he's, uh, the angel says, I will show you, Daniel, the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia. So we have to be really careful here. He's, he talks about three and a fourth. And remember there was uh, in chapter 8, the, the empire of Greece had one king and then he had four. And then the little horn came out of the out of one of the four. And so we have to make sure that we're keeping people straight. Uh, this is Persia, it's not Greece. And he says, Persia, and so there'll be three kings, and then a fourth, and the fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Okay, so here, uh, I, I just point out that after Cyrus, three more kings will arise. Well, in history, we know this. A lot of this, by the way, comes from Herodotus, uh, the Greek historian. Um, but you have Cambyses, you have Pseudo-Smerdis, uh, Darius uh, the, the second, I think, yeah. And then you have Xerxes. And Xerxes, of course, is our biblical Xerxes from the Book of Esther. Okay, so... Um, you have three kings that will arise after Cyrus. The fourth will be great and very prosperous. Uh, he will become strong through his riches, and eventually he will attack Greece. And that actually happens right before the, the attacking of Greece, right before or perhaps during uh, the first chapter of the book of Esther, if you remember our Old Testament survey. Okay, so uh, because after he attacks Greece, he loses, and he goes back to his palace and brings a bunch of advisors together to figure out uh, how they could plan to attack Greece successfully. And that's probably what's going on in chapter 1 of the book of Esther, is that great feast. 
All right, so he's he plans this crusade against uh, against Greece. All right, so we know this from history uh, that this is the case. Now, verses three and four uh, are about Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. So that is going to be Alexander the Great. We saw Alexander the Great in chapter 8 as well, and in chapter 7, if I remember correctly. Uh, Verse 4, And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven. Of course, we know that this happened to Greece. We saw this in chapter 8 also, and chapter 7. Uh, but not to his prosperity. So Alexander had no child to whom he bequeathed um, the kingdom. It was split up among his four generals. And his kingdom shall be plucked up and given to others beside. And these are the four generals. So Ptolemy. Ptolemy took over Egypt, which is in the south. We'll see that again. Remember, Ptolemy goes with Egypt. And if it helps you remember uh, Ptolemy, is in Egypt. Remember, Cleopatra is in Egypt, if that helps you. Okay. Uh, Antigonus has Babylon and North uh, Syria, and that's the Seleucid Empire. Uh, uh, Lysimachus has Thrace and Bithynia, which is uh, Asia Minor, and over towards eastern Greece. and then Cassander has Macedonia, and uh, which is, well, it's now again Macedonia. Uh, it became Greece, and then, it became, then they split again. So Greece and Macedonia today are two different countries again. Um, so those are the four generals who took over after Alexander the Great. All right, so we have those four. Now, starting in verse 5... We get into a long discussion of um, that gets sometimes a little confusing because we get we go back and forth. So I I just I want to highlight a few things um, in verse five. It says then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be great shall be a great authority. And it gets into some historical detail. And that's why we're not going to go verse by verse here through chapter 11. <clears throat> it gets into a lot of very specific historical detail. You know, like uh, some years he'll make an alliance and the daughter of the south is going to go to the king of the north to make a, a covenant. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff. And there's going to be a breakdown in the covenant. And Okay, this is all uh, historically... Um, we, we can trace this all through history. We have this all in our secular history. Uh, what all these, who all these people are, or at least a good, a good guess. But here are the, the things I want to point out to you as you read through chapter f- uh, 11, verses 5 through 20. The king of the south is Egypt. That's Ptolemy and, and those who come after Ptolemy uh, as rulers over the Egyptian empire. The king of the north is Syria, which uh, is from Seleucus, Seleucus, uh, and think Antiochus. So Antiochus's father and grandfather are going to come out of Syria, or come out of that, um, the, and, and out of uh, Antigonus is uh, lined here, which is known as the Seleucid Empire. The glorious land is Israel. Uh, and but it's not all of Israel; it's Judea and Jerusalem. Um, because after, even after the people were sent back by Cyrus, what the Jews really had was Jerusalem and the surrounding area. They they went back to a very very small piece, and that again gets into that. Well, how did the, where did the Samaritans come from? When you get to the New Testament, and the Samaritans were people, some people who had stayed behind, some Jews, but then they were mixed with Gentiles because what, one of the things the Persians would do is they would, they would mix people up. And so they would say, oh, we just took all these people 
uh, from this this land? Well, we'll take these people who we're going to take from their land, and we'll put them over here, mix people up. And uh, so you had Gentiles and Jews living there who married, and uh, you have the Samaritans. Um, so the glorious land is Israel, and that's just Judea and, and Jerusalem. So we want to keep that in mind as we go uh, look at the passage, because sometimes this is a, a little confused, and when we get to the second half of the chapter, um, there's speculation as to who the king of the north is, uh, and, if, um, and that speculation is probably inaccurate if we understand that the king of the south is Egypt and the king of the north is Syria. We'll just, just keep that in mind. Okay. Um, all right. So there's, uh, there's a whole bunch of history here about the, the woman. Uh, her name is probably Berenice, um, is most likely who this is. And she went up. Um, she was the daughter of, of, one, of the, uh, one of the Ptolemies, Ptolemies and married uh, Antiochus II. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes is, is the fourth, so it's his grandfather. Um, she married his grandfather. But it was a political marriage, and it fell apart. <clears throat> um, so in verse 7, the branch, a branch from her roots shall arise in his place. In other words, uh, one of her children shall rise up to be a ruler, and he shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north. So she marries Antiochus, she has a child. The child identifies with his maternal grand grandfather, and then he comes back and attacks his father's house. Um, but uh, he shall deal with them and shall prevail. So he's not going to prevail. The Greeks are going to prevail, or the Ant Antiochus is going to prevail over Ptolemy. And he shall carry off to Egypt their gods, their metal images, their precious vessels. So you have this battle going on between the two. Now, if you recall your geography, so the Mediterranean Ocean, Syria is up here, a little bit north and east of the Mediterranean. Uh, it's in the same place today. Egypt is in the same place today. Um, and to get from one place to the other, you didn't jump on an on a aircraft or a, a you know, helicopter or anything like that. You had to march or take chariots. And there was a highway that went from Egypt up along the coast, a little ways inland from the coast, but between the Mediterranean Ocean and Israel, because Israel was up kind of in the mountains, uh, Jerusalem was, and uh, up into Syria. Had to pass through a mountain range. The mountain's name was um, Megiddon, Megiddo, uh, to get up there to Syria. Okay, so Syria's up here. So they're battling each other, and guess who's in the middle? Okay, so Israel's in the middle. So, you know, you can imagine if you have more than one, if you have three children, I don't have three children, but if you have three children and two of them begin to fight each other and the third one kind of gets in the middle and is just like, um, what do you call it, uh, casualty, collateral damage, um, you know, because they get to the other two. That happened to me once, only once, I'm sure, when I was a child and uh, did something to my sister and then my brother jumped between us. And uh, then he got it from both sides. So uh, that's kind of what's going on with Israel. Okay, so you got Syria is coming down. They're attacking Egypt. Egypt is coming up and attacking Syria. They're plundering each other. Um, finally, under Antiochus IV, is uh, Syria finally going to dominate Egypt? But it's not until Antiochus IV where that finally happens, where he finally gets his foot on the neck of uh, the Ptolemy, so to speak. All right, so uh, this conflict, so you see all this conflict is going back and forth between the north and the south. Um, there, there's rage, there's things. So in history, we can go through, and I'm not, so I'm not going to go through all the, the history tonight. Um, I just wanted to point out the... Um, Where I wanted to go here. 
Oh yeah, here we go. So verse uh, 16. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills. So this is, uh, so back in 14. In those times, many shall rise against the king of the south. And the violent among your own people, so the people of Israel, the violent among the people of Israel, will lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they will fail. So they too are going to try to attack uh, Egypt, and they're, they're going to fail when they do that. The king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not stand. Uh, and even his best troops, so there will be no strength. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. And so this is a king of the north. The king of the north is the one that's being talked about here, and he's going to stand in the glorious land. He's going to stand in Judah, in Jerusalem, uh, but with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with strength um, of his whole kingdom and shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. So he's going to enter into a covenant. And he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom. Um, afterwards, he shall turn his face to the coastlands. And But a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him, and he shall turn his face uh, toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. All right, so this last king um, that we're talking about here, um, some would say is already Antiochus, or Antiochus III, uh, that this king here is Antiochus III, the father of Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, he um, takes over the land. He takes over uh, Judea. Um, He chases Hannibal, uh, Hannibal of the elephants. Um, And and gives uh, terms of agreement or... uh, sets up covenants and dies um, about 187. So he's driven out of Asia Minor in 187 and he dies uh, as he goes back. So then, picking up in verse 20, then shall arise in his place uh, one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. And, uh, uh, sorry, verse 20, and then verse... Yeah, but within a few days he shall be broken, and that's uh, Antiochus III, neither in anger nor in battle. So Antiochus gets pushed out, he heads for home, and Antiochus III, that is, uh, dies in 187. All right, and so that brings us to verse 21, Antiochus Epiphanes. And we'll spend a little bit more time looking at Antiochus because we want to see how Scripture uh, um, compares with Scripture. And we'll see how this compares to uh, chapter 8 and chapter 7 in uh, the book of Daniel.